0: I'm
1: Robin Leach and I'm here at the luxurious home of the super-glamorous romance writer Mary Fisher. She's the woman who has everything, beauty, fame. My books reflect my own experience of lovemaking as sacred and beautiful. And plenty of hired help. I bet she makes you earn every penny, huh? But could it be that something is missing from this romantic storybook world? All oh, the little families, mummies and daddies and dear little children. How lucky they all are. To see how the other half lives, meet Ruth Patchett, a domestic demon. Your father loves mushroom soup. Queen of a suburban paradise. I'm in the bar. The woman is a walking disaster area. What could these two women possibly have in common? You look like an
0: angel. Look like an angel. Walk like an angel. I do, but I
1: got Someone get this deranged woman out of here. You're the the oh, oh, yes,
0: you.
1: You the Hello, I'm Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Jello. Today, we're going to be talking about the movie She Devil from 1989, starring Roseanne Barr, Meryl Streep, and uh, Ed Begley Jr. And I'm joined by my friend Laura Marie Marciano. Hi Laura. Hi.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're about? Sure. Um, I am a poet, writer, and I teach writing. I'll be starting a visiting professorship at Lehigh University in September, and I am the founder of a poetry and media collective called Gemstone Readings.
1: So Laura, why Did you pick this movie to
0: do? Okay. I think this is one of the best films I've seen in a while um, because it's so honest and also it's camp and I love camp and I really love watching the former life of Roseanne Barr play out. I love this movie because it really epitomizes
1: everything that I love about 80s comedies. This is the first comedy that I've covered on the podcast, and I think it's a good choice, even though I don't think probably that many people have seen it. Uh, it, To me, it was like a must-see because my mom would always have it on when it was on TV, but I know a lot of people haven't seen it because Susan Seidelman, the director, a woman directed this, is super, super underrated. She directed Desperately Seeking Susan, starring Madonna and Patricia Arquette. Uh, oh no, for Zanna Arquette, Patricia Arquette's her daughter. And she also directed three episodes of Sex in the City. She's really known for her aesthetic. She studied fashion before she got into films. So that's a lot of where the camp elements come in with She Girl. She Girls, she, she Devil. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can tell that there's a lot of attention paid to the styling and the interiors and the whole vibe generally of all of her films.
0: Yeah, I think that's what's really dope about She-Devil is the fashion and the interiors and the art design kind of bring it to this whole other level where you're completely um, enveloped into the director's world and their vision, not just through the script or the storyline, but also the entire um, visual world that's created.
1: Yeah, I this is also actually now that I'm thinking about it the first film on this podcast that we've discussed that was directed by a woman. Wow. And which is surprising mm-hmm. but at the same time not because yeah. I've been talking a lot about thrillers and horror and uh exploitation films which are usually directed and written by men. Mm-hmm. So this is the first one that was directed by a woman, which is I mean, I love Susan Seidelman, so it's appropriate. I really love her because she always has... The theme of her films are outsiders, and particularly outsider women. In Desperately Seeking Susan, that's her more popular film with uh, Madonna and Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna Arquette plays a housewife who is neglected by her husband, who is this philanderer and this misogynist. And Madonna is this... East Village it's sort of implied that she might be moonlighting as a sex worker so it's she's very much so it's kind of like a Madonna horror (laughs) complex Mm. actually uh, in Desperately Seeking Susan but neither of the women are ever judged and both are celebrated and Mm. given these very interesting storylines they're just juxtaposed with each other
0: yeah, and I, I feel like in She-Devil 2, you sort of see an entire character developed in both Roseanne and Meryl Streep or in Ruth and Mary. Um, you kind of see that it certainly is a woman directing this film because the characters are so robust and um, their identities are sort of have full, a full range.
1: Yeah, and there's no judgments about any kind of women in her films. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like in Desperately Seeking Susan, there's no judgments about Rosanna Arquette and her being a housewife, and there's no judgment about Madonna being this uh, free spirit, East Village kind of punk girl. Mm -hmm. And similarly in She-Devil, Meryl Streep gets her just desserts, (laughs) but she also emerges victorious in her own way
0: yes and it's it it kind of centers the the male figure as as the the problem that both characters escape from in different ways because both women have different lots in this life um and they have to use what they have to sort of create space to be free um and they go about it in different ways but i think yeah in the end they're kind of um both seen completely full-range characters human beings in the film
1: when did you first see this i know when you first saw but when did you first see it and what did you feel when you watched it
0: um i first saw she devil in your living room um celebrating your birthday i had just driven to your birthday and i brought you something from sephora and um I had to go to a bachelorette party the next night, so I was kind of like, ugh, you know, society. And so, (laughs) watching, coming into your living room, and there's other women there, and we're watching She-Devil. I was like, this is exactly what I need, like the eve before a bachelorette party. But it also made me feel like, seen I felt seen in Roseanne's character I also for many reasons because Meryl Streep's character Mary is a writer and I'm a writer and I know the trope of Mary Fisher in the writing world like the hot writer girl and um even though Roseanne Barr is not a writer in the film I felt like oh that's me you know like the person who's underlooked and overlooked despite being like a complete an utter genius not that I am but Roseanne really is and I feel like in this film she's shown in that way so I felt seen I felt really seen yeah I
1: feel really seen by this film too and I include this film even though it's a more quote-unquote obscure film I include this film in a lecture that I do that I actually did somewhere where Laura teaches uh, about representations of fat women Mm -hmm. from television and film and I talk about this movie when I talk about Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr is obviously a very controversial figure. Um, She is an outsider artist of sorts. Uh, She grew up in a Jewish family uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. So she was always kind of an outsider societally. And then she got her big break and she got The Roseanne Show in 1988. And She Devil was her first feature film in 1989. And the critics, it was pretty panned by critics. Um, They, it did not get good reviews. Um, The only thing that really got good reviews is Meryl Streep's performance, which, Mm -hmm. like, to be fair, is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, I don't, I think that. What the critics were saying when I was reading the reviews from 1989 is that up until this point, Meryl Streep had never done anything other than a dramatic role, so people were really impressed that she could do comedy so well. I don't know why. I mean, she's like a diverse actress. Like she can do anything she wants to do, Mm -hmm. but she had just never done it up until that point. And then people were also shocked that Roseanne Barr and Susan Seidelman were able to get such a huge big name actress in this film.
0: Were all these critics men? Yes. Okay. Of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, Roseanne's extremely controversial as of late, of course, as well. Um, But looking back at her at this time, Um, you know, a lot of the things that Annie and I have been looking at have described the plot of this film as, you know, Ruth's character, Roseanne Barr, being extremely unattractive or so ugly and, like, she gets revenge on her husband who leaves her for this hot writer. And it's kind of like Roseanne's crazy, but she's... Now she's crazy. But she's not (laughs) ugly. She's not unattractive. She looks like... A normal A person. A normal person. Yeah. And it's it's really... That's really painful every time I hear that. Because I remember watching the Roseanne show being like, Roseanne reminds me of my mom. You know? And like in the uh, 90s. And to hear that is like so damning. And, and it, it reveals so much about the trajectory of her life and her career. Um, and, and, and why this film in 1989 was so important, I think.
1: Yeah. And she's also... One of the only and there have been other sitcoms since I, I don't I don't believe have been as good as or as successful as Roseanne, but she was the for a long time the only representation of working class fatness mm-hmm. and fatness, as we know um, as if I may say, as people on the fat spectrum um, is Used it for a long time, it was used as a way to criticize the upper class for being very greedy and excessive. And then there was a turn mm-hmm. post World War II where fatness started to be seen as something that's only for the, the lower classes. Mm-hmm. And this also has to do with the racialization of fatness as well. Um, and fat people started to be used as a metaphor. Um, not even a metaphor, but a symbol for everything that is wrong with the working class, and only the hobos among us, the hobos of men, mm-hmm. would would desire a fat woman. So that that's when fatness started to turn, and even now, like the oh, quote unquote obesity epidemic is fat people are used to talk about everything that is wrong with the fast food industry and um how it's it's basically just a symbol of being poor mm-hmm. like people of Walmart that blog that was popular mm-hmm. for a long time in the early 2000s mm-hmm. like fat people are always used in this way to talk about the everything that's wrong and greedy uh and and disgusting about Americans yeah so to have two fat – because John Goodman is also fat. Yeah. To have two fat working class American people be in love with each other and have a life and be able to joke about their fatness together in a way that is never mean mm-hmm. is – I don't want to undercut the radicalness of that. Yeah. Like there has never since still not been something like that.
0: Yeah. And I think um, – Just Roseanne Barr as an artist making the Roseanne show, a fat woman, a woman that does not um, live up to the Hollywood beauty standards, a Jewish woman, like someone who came from an outsider community, being able to have her own show that she wrote and directed. Now, we know that people tried to undercut her all the time and take credit from her. But just... Even now, that's revolutionary. That's not happening. Even now, okay, yeah. it's not happening. Like, well, who do you see now who is?
1: And I hate, I hate to even use this, this patriarchal language, but this is the language that's put on us. Who, what women do you see now who are in film and television who are quote unquote unattractive? Like, never, never. Like, Shrill is maybe approaching that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and this, again, like, this is obviously not my personal opinion. Yeah. I think I mean, all these women are beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Aidy Bryant, I guess, it could approach that. I mean, she's still, like, white and cisgender and, like, perfectly squawked and styled on that show. So I don't know if I would, I think t- to even say that she is unattractive is, like, Pushing such an insane high standard on well, yeah. people, like it's she's so clearly an attractive person. Yeah. Like she has no disabilities or like visible deformities or yeah. anything. Like, and there's so many ways to be in a body, and it's sort of like how Rachel Dratch has said in interviews, like I'm not a fucking troll or anything, <laughs> but like according to Hollywood, like yeah. she's this troll of a woman. Yeah. Like that's why she always gets these funny parts and she's never mm-hmm. this leading woman yeah. whereas like Kristen Wig and Tina Fey are f- and Amy Poehler are funny but um, and they're definitely not like quote unquote main actress starlet Hollywood material but they still get to play uh, a, a range of characters because of like their the compliance of their appearances mm-hmm. into this like white heteropatriarchal norm
0: yeah well I think sort of thinking about then Roseanne's character in She-Devil, Ruth, um, and how she's plotted against this really attractive, hot, successful woman. It kind of, you know, it it reinforces that. And, And there's this scene in the film where they're at the Guggenheim for some party, some executive party, and... Bob, the husbands, talking to Mary, Meryl Streep's character, and it's as if uh, Ruth becomes completely invisible, not only to her husband and to Mary Fisher, but to everyone in the room. Yeah. And this is so, this is so mirror, it so mirrors the actual art world. Um, Yeah, and we'll,
1: maybe we should talk about it when we get into the plot. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should just get into the plot. Okay, yeah. So we talked about... The context of the movie, Mm -hmm. um, how it was received. There's not, like, a a ton of information about this movie out there just because it's not one of those comedies from the 80s, like maybe Death Becomes Her, that has a huge cult following around it. So there's not a ton of information out there. Um, But let's get into the plot. So the opening scene... um, There is this – these various shots of women shopping in a department store uh, with shots of perfume and makeup. So Mm -hmm. we open with these – the capitalist trappings of femininity. Mm -hmm. And Ruth Roseanne Barr um, pushes the film forward with her narration, her voiceover. And it comes in immediately in this film. And the first line of the movie is, some women are born beautiful. Mm -hmm. And we know immediately that Roseanne Barr is not one of these women. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I think when I watch the beginning of this film is like, this is how I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, like, I don't want to downplay that I um, am a quote unquote, an acceptable fat person because of my... The way that my weight is distributed, I have a lot of privilege in that area, um, but I feel extremely othered mm. in situations like this, where there are all these skin skinny white blonde women mm. around. Meryl Streep, Mary Fishers, yeah, the Mary Fishers <laughs> of the world, yeah, are around me in these contexts. And Roseanne is also she's shopping for this gala that she's going to attend with her husband, and she says, my husband has this very important uh, gala. Oh, I also wanted to talk about how this movie is
0: actually based on a book. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, to quickly go off of that first line, some women are born beautiful. This is something I think of all the time. Um, I've been working on a project on pretty privilege, and that it's a real thing, and that... Um, there are many things that divide us, obviously, and cause our cause for oppression. But I don't think just as people don't recognize their thin privilege, they don't recognize their pretty privilege. Um, no one is taught to say, "I am pretty" or "I am beautiful," but inside they know. Um, they know because they compare themselves to other people, and they're like, "Well, at least I don't look like that." Exactly. And I mean, I mean, this is like, I remember being a kid and being in. Newberry comics and this boy looking at me and then kissing his girlfriend and being like, I'm glad you don't look like her. <laughs> and it was like the most horrifying moment. And it's like really painful. Like it's like That is so triggering. And I was like eleven. And like this person you're talking about a kid. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just a little bit older than me. And it was so painful, but it was in that moment that you realized that like you can have a lot of things that set you back, um, but not living up to beauty standards, whatever they may be, and they're different across subcultures, um, can be one of the most detrimental things. And I think this film, besides talking also about fat women, really brings that out as well. Um, just this idea of what's considered attractive and what is pretty privileged, and how far it will take you in this world. And what's why, to me, this film is really important. Yeah, and it's something
1: that people don't ever want to admit, like you said, either, because women are also taught to never own anything. Mm -hmm. They're taught to not be proud or Mm -hmm. to own that they're beautiful or successful. So uh, we all have image issues, self-image issues, living under a patriarchy, living under white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy, (laughs) like, of course, yeah. but to... To ever um, advance beyond that we need to start admitting how mm-hmm. we yeah. how easy we have it moving through the world and that's why I preface my own discussions of fatness by saying I'm an extremely privileged fat person
0: yeah and I feel I mean of course like I have a lot of privilege and just because that boy thought that about me is not obviously how the whole world <laughs> thinks about me and I know where my privilege lies but I think that being able to talk about thin privilege and pretty privilege um, is kind of the next step to opening up so much more of the conversation about white supremacy and about um, the patriarchy and and it kind of brings it to this next level. If it's more, becomes more easy to talk about. i mean, i have I'm teaching a class right now to nine year olds. And they are pretty well educated and they're pretty well informed, and they probably at least in class, I'm sure at home, would not make a um racist comment or a um even a gendered comment, but they would eat they'll make fat jokes all day because no one's yet told them that this is also a part of what um pushes forward the patriarch and pushes forward white supremacy
1: yeah, yeah, I mean fat phobia is inherently tied to white supremacy, so we can never. Not talk about that when yeah. we talk about fat phobia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those things that people still don't talk to their kids about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, the part of the issue with fatness being talked about as an oppression and part of the issue why fat people as a group have trouble organizing is because it is seen as temporary. Mm. There are certain mm. things about certain identities that you can't change. Like you can't change your race. Yeah. You can't, I mean, although like the those girls, the Instagram models might try to do and Rachel Dawson. Yeah, like <laughs> you can't change your race, you can't change your sexuality. Some people, you know, feel like they were always one gender and then some people feel like their gender is fluid and or don't have a binary gender. Um, and that, that and that's of course not a choice. But then of course there are some people who feel like it's a choice. Regardless, it's fatness is seen as like this uh, temporary state of being, mm-hmm. and there's always a, a thin person inside of you
0: mm-hmm. waiting <laughs> to get out,
1: waiting to get out. Yeah, so that's part of the reason that fatness is not taken seriously as an identity, and it's also a, why fat people have trouble getting together and talking about fat phobia mm-hmm. because it's a lot of fat people are still waiting to lose it or thinking that they are they're going to change
0: or that there's something wrong with them if they don't or constantly constantly every moment of your life is consumed with you know do these clothes fit me right what are my students thinking about me when I'm up in front of a class Um, is is what I'm wearing appropriate I happen to be have a lot of Curves are be very voluptuous and I'm always constantly worried that like what I'm wearing isn't appropriate even though on a thin person it wouldn't be. Well, did you hear about this? She I wouldn't even consider her fat, but this Mm -hmm. like curvy black woman was on a plane
1: recently Mm -hmm. in a romper and American Airlines and they asked her to cover up. Oh my God. And it's like in the news and everything. And she said, if I were thin, this would not have happened. And it's absolutely true. Like fat people... We have been convinced as fat people that, like, we don't deserve to feel the air on our skin.
0: Yeah. And. It's or such or a, go swimming.
1: Yeah. And it's such a simple human right mm-hmm. that a lot of people take for granted. But I can even recall, like, in even in middle school and high school, being told to cover up because my cleavage was showing because the fucking shirts don't fit Yeah, because we can't get anything that fits us. and But girls who had way less cleavage than me, not being told to cover Mm -hmm. up, wearing the same exact thing.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I even thought this, like, there isn't really work clothes made for people above a size 10. Like, not even 12. Like, there's not really... Oh, because fatness is unprofessional. Yeah. Inherently unprofessional. So you... When I first started teaching... I felt like, how am I ever going to find, like, professional clothing? Like, um, I even had it when I was right out of college. And I was not even considered fat at that moment in my life. And I couldn't find professional clothes. And anything I wore, like, the principal, like, flagged me, basically. I was teaching kids in Chicago. And, like, asked me if I could wear the gym uniform that the kids wore, like, every day. (laughs) So I was, like, too voluptuous. And I don't know, like, I guess some of the dads were making comments. I don't – or the moms. And that is your problem, How? Yeah, yeah. And they wanted me, 22-year-old, to wear, like, the gym uniform that the kids wore because – like, my boobs were too big. That's absurd. Yeah. Um, and but. <laughs> but, like,
1: numerous examples of that. Yeah. And so, like, <laughs> this, I also wanted to talk about how this movie is based on a book. It's based on a book by a British feminist author named Faye Weldon. And the book is called The Life and Loves of a She-Devil. It's from 1983. And I haven't read it, but – uh, Weldon insists that the book is about envy rather than revenge, and I would argue that the movie is definitely about revenge and yes, not envy. definitely. The movie is, really deviates from the book in some key mm-hmm. areas, um, that I'll talk about when they come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was criticized. the movie was also criticized by by the by film critics for not being true to the book mm-hmm. and not having the same tone as the book okay so the tone of the book is a lot darker, and this movie is like a pure campy comedy. <laughs> So, Roseanne is shopping for this gala that she's going to attend with her husband. I'll call her Ruth. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she's trying on clothes. This is like a triggering scene because she like, Mm -hmm. can't get the clothes on. Mm -hmm. Real, been there. She's getting
0: her hair done. The lights. Oh, girl. The lights in the dressing room. I hate when people are like, why aren't you trying that on? I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want to hate myself. (laughs) I'm going to bring it home and try it on. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) if you can even find anything that fits you in a store. Um, and so Roseanne is getting her hair done at the hair salon with all the other women there are very few men in this movie which mm-hmm. I also love mm-hmm. and she sees a lifestyle of the rich and famous segment Robin Leach profiling Mary Fisher mm-hmm. who is a romance author who's supposed to be 34 and she's already written like 30 romance novels <laughs> or something and she's, uh, she's very wealthy and Meryl Streep plays Mary Fisher, and she is gorgeous, Mm -hmm. right? She's svelte, blonde, got this perfect life. This
0: beautiful house, like a mansion by the
1: sea. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's, like, ornate, like, the Gilded Age meets 1985. Yes. Like, beautiful swimming pool, like, right on the water, like, incredible, incredible. Right, and Roseanne, Ruth
1: calls her husband Bob. Uh, played by Ed Begley Jr., who's actually, like, great at mm-hmm. being a dick in this movie. And he's just awful to her. And he obviously doesn't want her to come to this gala. He's, like, embarrassed by her, by mm-hmm. her appearance. And the gala is at the Guggenheim. We mm-hmm. see them at this gala. Ruth is wearing this kind of frumpy dress. Mm-hmm. And uh, she doesn't
0: fit in because she's fat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody is ignoring her at this gala. They're all ignoring her. Like, she's not even there she can't get the attention of anyone, not just her husband. Um, and it's sort of this really, like I mentioned earlier, it's like a mirror to the art world as it is now. Um, you know, Annie has done work around this and her art practice. So have I, um, gemstones was founded to give outsiders a voice, um, for various reasons. But in this scene, it's really, she's fat she's in this frumpy dress and no one will even give her the time of day and that is so real whether it's the art world or the writing world um and people fight against it but I mean there's so many there's like a million I can't even begin to say the examples both my own and other people's so
1: (laughs) but it's we talk about this all the time how like people completely outright dismiss me until they learn what I do and who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm like some big wig, but mm-hmm. when I'm like, oh, I'm a teaching artist and yeah. I, you know, I've done this yeah. thing and this thing. And yeah, you know, my work has been featured in this or whatever. Like when I comply to yeah. these like elitist heteropatriarchal standards yeah. in introducing myself then people start to respect me but just but that's kind of why I do it because I don't want to be treated like shit yeah and but because immediately in these spaces like anytime I've gone to a gallery show or a writing event like a book opening for a friend or anything people act like I'm you know and un- like I have to be this, like, slob who, Mm -hmm. like, doesn't know anything about culture, Mm -hmm. which I also want to say, like, it is fine to not know about that Mm -hmm. stuff. (laughs) That's the other thing. Like, I should be respected as a person, whether I was in that world or not.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, for me, I've noticed that if I say who I am and what I do, specifically men will try to suck all of my inspiration out of me and, like, use my ideas or latch onto me in some specific way, That um, which makes me want to not say anything about who I am. Like, if I mention that, like, oh, I'm teaching a course on performance art at RISD, I will get too many, like, thirsty men wanting to, like, suck everything out of me, and it happens, much less with women, I will say. But women... Have, they give um, you the elevator
1: eyes. Yeah, they
0: give you eyes. And also, like, I mean, I've never seen so much hate from hipster women as when I've worn, like, short shorts down the street. Like, yeah. contempt. Like, because they don't want to look like you. Yeah. Or they're just mad that I feel okay and happy right. about my life. Well, that's
1: like one of the big <laughs> roots of fat phobia. Yeah. Is like people, you know, fat phobia keeps people in line, yeah. keeps people compliant. Yeah. Like, and a hungry, tired population yeah. is a lot more compliant than, like, people who just eat and exercise and whenever they lives. want and yeah. enjoy their lives.
0: Yeah. I mean, to to lose weight is to starve yourself really, truly. Um, and then you get used to the starvation and whatever. Um, Most people are on a diet for their whole life. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like um, it's specifically – the Mary Fishers of the world exist in, in the writing world. They exist in the poetry world. It is real. And a lot of writers and artists, but I speak as a writer, have to create like outsider circles um, in order to be seen. And and there's examples of of writers who are outsiders in in a bodily way who have really pushed boundaries and have really um, been well respected, even amongst the Mary Fishers. Um, but it takes so much effort, and you have to basically be amazing and. You know, teach at RISD and have won, like, an Oscar. To be, oh, yeah, I know her. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, oh, yeah. So this is when
1: Ruth meets Mary Fisher. She spills a drink on her. And she's a fan. Ruth is a fan of Mary Fisher. And she's, like, kind of captivated with her. And yeah. Mary Fisher's really cold to her. Yeah. And... Bob swoops in and berates Ruth for spilling a drink on her and is like, "Go get her some seltzer and salt and uh Ew. I know
0: <laughs> and well that's that's a good moment to bring up though too that Ruth wants to make this like connection with a uh, a writer and wants to have like this connection and and the world is split so so very much divided in that moment. There.
1: Well, it's – and also that brings up how Mary Fisher is, like, this huge hypocrite because mm-hmm. earlier in the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous segment, she was talking about how she wants to speak for women mm-hmm. and, like, represent women's rom- romantic yeah. lives. But and only
0: thin white women in with a, blonde. Hair. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> but then when she's confronted with an actual woman who, like, is the reason she's rich, her fans are the reason yeah. she's rich, yeah. she treats her, like, subhuman. Mm-hmm. Um, Meryl and Bob, Mary and Bob, have this instant connection. They're making eyes at each other, right in front of Ruth. Uh, and Bob is going to drive Mary home. Oh. And Ruth has to sit in the back seat, oh, God. And he's going to drive her all the way to the Hamptons. And it's just this really painful scene. But I have to say, like, Meryl's quote unquote sexy acting is hilarious. She does this really brilliant thing that pretty women do when they are um, used to being watched all the time mm-hmm. where they just act as if they're always being watched. Yeah. Like uh, they're under... The, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Under like the scopophilic male gaze. Like yeah. wondering... Always constantly wondering what they look wonder. like. Like the way she puts her hand mm-hmm. to her face mm-hmm. where she's just like constantly ready for her picture to be taken. Ready yes. for like a man to gaze yes. on her. And Meryl Streep captures that perfectly yeah. um bob drives her back to her mansion which is this amazing pink mansion it's pink yeah it's, it's i amazing. i want to live there the it's, windows it's so good the writing yeah. garden it's so it's beyond mm-hmm. uh we meet garcia and mary's poodle garcia mm-hmm. is her butler who we later learned mary was having this affair with yes yeah. um And Mary says, uh, writing can be so, so lonely. Oh, wow. You sounded just like, (laughs) do you agree? Laura (laughs) can, is writing lonely?
0: Um, well, I think that for me, writing is life-saving. Um, when all of the glitz and glam of visual culture, and I think this is why I am a writer at heart, despite making visual art too. You get to process it really through your writing. Um, And so it's isolating, I think, more than it's lonely because it's something you have to do introspectively and often by yourself. But the rewards, the healing rewards of that are really powerful. I don't think that that's the kind of writing that (laughs) Mary... Yeah, the-
1: she's <laughs> writing romance novels for money. Yeah. And, um, not
0: bad, though. I mean, I might want to do that. Yeah, too. I mean, you, honestly,
1: you should. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, Ruth and Bob, uh, no, not Ruth and Bob, Mary and Bob have romance novel sex like they have this dramatic like her bed yeah like her round bed it's it's played for laughs like it's supposed to be this ridiculous like romance novel seduction and then they cut to ruth who is reading a mary fisher novel in bed eating donuts while this is happening with her husband And Ruth is, like, stuck with her shitty kids, who are ungrateful brats. Mm -hmm. And Bob is denying this affair and living it up, while Ruth toils over his home and children. Mm -hmm. Typical. Um, It's really sad, because Ruth tries to win Bob back with this dinner for his parents. Oh, yeah. Oh, God.
0: (laughs) And (laughs) And it burns.
1: Yeah, it burns. And, (laughs) well... (laughs) So she's preparing for this dinner. Mary and Bob, their affair is escalating. She wants Bob to leave to leave Ruth and she says, I know you married her out of pity, but we can't help it. We fell in love. Mm. So So you also learn that they got married because Ruth was pregnant.
0: And Well, and that's just I mean, and when they're teenagers too. So this just kind of took me back to a very triggering time in my life obviously when um you know there is sort of this unspokenness I mean this overtly spokenness about your attractiveness I think or lack of it is in high school more than like any other time in your life because people learn to be like polite or Totally. Yeah. But in high school, like, people, like, raid each other. And, like. Oh, there's no pretense. <laughs> there's no pretense at all. And, like, so to think that, like, that was where this relationship began for Ruth and Bob within that context. Oh. And that she was, like, a mistake that oh, he made. And the whole trajectory of her You're life. You're the mistake, bro. Like, yeah. Like, not you know, her. He's the mistake. He's awful. But, like, it just bring It's very painful and real in that moment, despite this being. A, it being comedic and how it's delivered, you really get to that. Um, All these powerful, incredible, intelligent, genius women who exist as, like, the leftovers of these, like, nothing men. I remember you posted a meme once that was like, she was a lawyer. He was a pizza artist. Oh, yeah. Like, it's the, he was a hot
1: dog. It's from actually Sex in the City. Uh, I wonder if Susan Seidelman wrote that episode. Uh, yeah. Where uh, Carrie says she was a lawyer and he was a sandwich.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: like Miranda's boyfriend is one of those sandwich guys who hands out flyers.
0: Oh, yeah. And I mean, in this, it just kind of like, it's like, it's, they l- realize it too late. Like, I saw a young woman walking down the street today in Brooklyn, like, on the phone, like, telling off some loser dude and I just wanted to jump out of the car and be like, just leave him right now. Like, but, it and I imagined, like, 20 years in the future, like, <laughs> her being like, oh, that crazy woman <laughs> that jumped from the car, I should have listened to her. And it's like, Ruth's character is finally starting to realize, oh, like I have power and I have worth, and this motherfucker is not going to get away with this. Yeah, she
1: she comes to that realization. Bob comes home from his affair for his night with dinner with his parents and he's taking a shower and ruth he's terrified by ruth in her underwear because she comes <laughs> into the bathroom and like i'm
0: terrified by him yeah
1: and like stares at him in the shower cause she's pissed off yeah but he thinks she's like trying to have sex mm-hmm. and he's like oh don't start and she's like i wasn't i was just going to weigh myself Aww. and he says that so no wonder you're
0: upset Aww. So he's like fat shaming her. Yeah, there's the moment where he's like, haven't you looked at yourself? Like, yeah, that You're comes... over 200 pounds. And yeah. And then the, the camera like pans in on Ruth's face and she's got this look of revenge. It's like, so good. She's going to kill him. Yeah. It's like the best moment. Yeah, because this... Well,
1: she... Basically, everything that could go wrong with this dinner goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And she falls and he doesn't help her up. It's really awful. And then he he decides he's going to leave her. Mm-hmm. and he he goes off on her and he's like packing his clothes and he's like have you looked at yourself oh. right like you i don't even think you're a woman oh. you're a she devil and that's when you see <laughs> it closes up on her face and yeah. she's like fine like yeah. you can see this realization where she's like if that's what you think i am mm-hmm. that is what i'm going to become yeah i hate him yep Oh, and as he's leaving, also, he's listing his assets and his liabilities, because he's an accountant. Mm -hmm. So he talks about how he's got all these assets, and the only liability he has is Ruth. Mm -hmm. So Ruth is going to run with that, and (laughs) she creates this outline of Bob's assets. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, she has this amazing scene where she just stands outside in in the storm and screams, which, relatable.
0: Yes. I mean, there's so many like captured um almost like photographs in this film that are like you have to watch it just for that yes. just the aesthetics. Oh are. my god,
1: it's a really gorgeously aesthetic film. Yeah. And so Ruth stands outside and screams into the night mm-hmm. and then she lists Bob's assets. So we got home number mm-hmm. 1, family, career, freedom. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> So we see with this list she's making on her pink pad of paper. Oh yeah. That these are the assets she's going to attack and destroy them. Mm-hmm. So the first one is the home. So she uh it's this amazing scene where she blows up their
0: house. <laughs> it's so amazing. She's got like the 1980s like coke bottle glasses on outside the house and it's like in flames yeah it's
1: uh, in flames she like plugs in every appliance she puts knives in the blender like so everything is gonna blow up I mean it's absurd and unrealistic but amazing (laughs) and she what I love also she puts on lipstick before she leaves Uh, the house before the house blows up it's a power move yeah exactly and we got the worst green screen ever (laughs) in front of the house blowing up the sadistically smiling. yep Ruth takes – so now she's got to ruin the family. So she ruined the house and now it's time to ruin family life. Mm -hmm. So she brings the kids to Mary Fisher's mansion where Mm -hmm. Bob is staying Mm -hmm. and uh, drops them
0: off. And I love that. I I love love that she doesn't care about her kids. It's so refreshing. She
1: does, but she knows that there's like a bigger picture. because She talks about missing them throughout the film, but she knows that they're going to be safe. Yeah. They're going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And she also knows that she has other things to do on her own right now yeah. that mm-hmm. she needs
0: to accomplish, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. So yeah, the kind of act of, like, needed abandonment in that moment so she could do what she needed to do to ruin Bob's entire life. Yeah.
1: And yeah. he's, like, he's horrified that she's leaving kids. He's like, where are you going? And she goes, I don't know, Bob. Into my future, I guess.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, lo- the way that... Roseanne like executes these lines. It's so good. It's so good. Like this flippant, irreverent, incredible tone. Anytime she speaks to him from here on out, yes. She used to like be dotting and kind of sweet to him. Yeah, no, she doesn't give a fuck anymore. She's like, fuck you. Yeah, I love it. It's so good.
1: Um, Ruth poses as she changes her name to Vesta Rose. She plans on ruining Mary's life Mm -hmm. um, by going to the – and getting a job as an orderly in this nursing home where Mary Fisher's mother Mm -hmm. is. And uh, at this point in the movie, we don't exactly know how she's going to do that yet, but she's getting close to Mary Fisher's mother. Mm -hmm. And she – this is when she – we meet um, the other orderly at the nursing home, Hooper. Who is played by actress great character actress Linda Hunt, Mm -hmm. who is a lesbian. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Linda Hunt, Mm -hmm. Um, but she is also in. uh, She's not fat, but she's an unattractive woman. She's certainly an outsider. Yeah, she's an outsider, and uh, Ruth sees Mm -hmm. her and is kind of immediately, you know, plotting on her. Mm -hmm. And I also I wanted to talk about in this moment, like the domestic labor of ugly women. And how beautiful women get to be Mary Fishers and have soft hands, forever. yeah,, soft hands forever. Mm-hmm. And on a, quote unquote, unattractive or ugly women, and this is also also something that is heavily racialized, yeah. which is not explored in the film, but has to be mentioned, mm-hmm. um, are these get caught get stuck in these domestic labor positions that are basically dead end personal with your personal life like they have to live in this nursing home and mm. they have no yeah, it's like life. how
0: teachers used to not be able to have a personal life yeah i mean and it's and it's kind of like why i'd speak a pretty privilege as um a means to class mobility for a lot of people because if you are born extremely attractive um not that you won't be a victim to the patriarch because you absolutely will um sometimes it affords you job opportunities or um ability to be married to a wealthy family or whatever it is um, whereas women who are unattractive or seen as unattractive obviously by our culture are like their lives are fucked yeah i mean all women's lives are fucked but are li- there's are like there's levels yeah there's levels yeah there's there's certainly levels
1: um, Yeah. Ruth takes over the nursing home by unmedicating all of the elderly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Hooper, she's like, she stops giving it. them medication. They love it. They're playing soccer. They're living it up. Yeah. Um. And Hooper confronts Ruth and says, it's against the rules. <laughs> I'm going to tell Mrs. Trumper. And Ruth says... I've been afraid, she knows she's like, I'm not afraid. I've been afraid my whole life, and by the looks of it, so of you. Mm-hmm. And she says it's a shame, Hooper. I've always thought that women like us should stick together. Yeah. And I love that unspoken solidarity. And Hooper like kind of just looks off changed in this profound way. <laughs> and she doesn't snitch on her. Mm-hmm. And I just love the the different kinds of solidarity that exists between different kinds of
0: women. Yeah. It's kind of like the opposite of, you know, a lot of times like um, the really pretty girl will be friends with girls who aren't as attractive as them because they need to feel good about themselves all the time. So when girls who are not like the creme de la creme of of, uh, standard beauty become friends it's like this really powerful alliance that's unstoppable yes and
1: i mean also there's the other idea that like pretty women pretty girls travel in packs Mm -hmm. like popular pretty girls and then like who so what do the other women do yeah (laughs) well they come together and form these beautiful healing friendships i remember like you know i for most of my life i was always like the fat friend Mm -hmm. to my friends and then like finally having other fat friends Mm -hmm. uh was a revelation Mm -hmm. like it completely changed the way i saw myself Mm -hmm. and that is so important
0: yeah i remember um you telling me like just bringing that to my attention that so many of my friends um in my life were like these quote-unquote pretty girls um who had always been known for that or gotten that attention and how toxic that could be to me. Yeah. Because a lot of times they're just using you to feel good about themselves and not always, they don't even always know it. It's kind of, sometimes they do, but it's kind of how our culture set up. So when you can finally break from that and this, that this moment in that film is like that kind of a break, um, for the characters, um, it's so powerful
1: to watch I love that line yeah and we the next scene we see Mary Fisher writing softcore porn on this amazing pink Zenith laptop <laughs> I love <laughs> it I want it um I love this film because I am both Ruth and Mary Fisher mm-hmm. like yeah. I yes. I'm both of them in one yeah and most women are yeah. both of these people in one yeah Not, um or neither yeah uh, but it's it's very rarely like one or the other yeah um, she's not having a good time with the kids. Mm-hmm. Bob is away working. He's already flirting with other women. And when I was watching this with my mom last night, my mom said, because this is when Mary starts to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love when Mary starts to go I love it. Uh, but my mom goes, oh, so this guy turns women into she-devils. And yes. they're not – he makes them yeah, monsters yeah, yeah, by, yeah. like – gaslighting them, essentially, manipulating them, Mm -hmm. acting like they're the best thing in his life. Even with Ruth, like, before he leaves her, he's always like, you're my best friend, Ruth. You know everything about me. Like, that's why she stays with him. He's so manipulative. Like, Mm -hmm. they have a family together and he acts like they're these close confidants. Mm -hmm. And then with Mary, like he he's on the phone with her and he's like oh my love like you have to you have to work on your novel and
0: and he's in a convertible he's in a convertible
1: he's and well there's a hot woman next to him in another car and he's like eyeing her uh-huh. and mary is taking care of his kids yeah. it's like yeah yeah
0: that, of he's, course she's a he's, monster he's the devil yeah and exactly and he's like turned these people's um their agency and destroyed it yeah you know, mary is is you know a foot soldier to the patriarch in many ways but she also had her agency and her freedom and her beautiful mansion and she had a sexuality outside of bob and now all of her energy has been turned to him and why isn't he loving me anymore yeah
1: and her companion her poodle dies on this scene by jumping off the ledge because it's being chased by the kid's golden retriever Mm. And Ruth and Mrs. Fisher start talking, uh, and she's getting closer to her. We also see that the next cut, that Mary Fisher has this amazing grave for her poodle oh, yeah, that says in French, it's like, ma Juliette Charie. Um, <laughs> it's like this amazing monument to the poodle. Um, and it's like campy and hilarious, but it's also like yeah. real. And she has these connections outside of
0: Bob mm-hmm. and these things that are, and he's ruining yeah, them. Yeah. I mean, you can, I mean, and that's such a typical thing that happens. Like the most promising, intelligent, cool, fully developed person, woman. Being, like, reduced to a child in their level of agency and confidence because of a man's manipulation. And because of how the world has taught them, like, that's where their value should be measured. And it's so fucking annoying because it's, like, so easy to see. And it's often easy for people to see when they're not in it. But then they get, like, in it. And this is when you see Mary's fall, you really see that. Like you even feel like, all right, she's sucks in so many ways, but also she doesn't deserve this shit. Like, no.
1: you know. I mean, she she gets what she deserves and then gets what the good things she deserves. Yeah. Um but so okay, so Ruth has convinced Mrs. Fisher to go visit Mary Fisher. And her mo- so her mother shows up at the door. Mrs. Fisher's great. She's like this gregarious old lady who doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out at dinner, Mrs. Fisher reveals that Mary is, tw- is actually 41. Mm-hmm.
0: And Bob is pissed off. And or he uses it as a reason to continue, like, oh, you lied to me. Like, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: he's like, you lied to me. So he's justifying it for himself even while yeah. he's starting oh, to wander. now wand I it. have to wander. Yeah, exactly. Because you're an old hag. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, 41 is so yeah, old. Yeah, you've been retired. Yeah. <laughs> and they, so the this the next great scene between Ruth and Hooper where Ruth brings out these pastries mm-hmm. and she's Eating them and savoring one in front of Hooper, and Hooper is like watching her licking her lips, and she asks if she can have one, and they bond over these pastries.
0: Eating is just pleasure.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And they eat the whole box. And uh, Ruth says, "You know, who? By the way, everybody else thinks her name is Vesta Rose, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Ruth says to to Hooper, like, you must like it here if you've been here for twenty years." And Hooper says, well, not particularly, but, you know, I'm, it's what I'm used to. And Ruth says, you you can get used to anything if you have to, mm-hmm. which is yeah. uh, some profound shit. Yeah, it's like
0: the underlying theme of the Yeah, you can film. get used to abuse.
1: You yeah. can get used to being treated like shit, yeah. being treated like you're yeah. not worth anything. And yeah. that's what both of them are used to. Yeah. Um, Hooper reveals that she's been saving all of this money and she has this small fortune and because uh, <laughs> she doesn't spend any money. And she says, what would you do with this kind of money? And mm-hmm. Ruth says, oh, I can think of a few things that's going to become important. Uh-huh. Mary is try- at her mansion trying to give an interview to People magazine. But and her mother's there to interrupt. Her mother keeps interrupting. And Garcia keeps interrupting because he's pissed off at yeah. Mary because they had a relationship. Yeah. And she, like, dumped him for this white asshole. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, of course he's pissed off. Yeah. Um,
0: so, so. she's in that, she's, like, in her posture giving the people's magazine.
1: But Garcia knows the real her. Yeah.
0: I think is, like, also part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And so they're giving this – she's giving this interview. She um, is being sabotaged by Mrs. Fisher. She goes into the house to get something and Mrs. Fisher is talking to the People magazine woman and she reveals that Mary Fisher has had a baby before that she gave up for adoption
0: Mm. and
1: also that she's Jewish, which Mm -hmm. is also an interesting thing Mm. that Mary Fisher is trying to hide. Mm. Um, So – Ruth crosses off another asset because she successfully framed Mrs. Fisher uh, for incontinence because the woman at the nursing home doesn't tolerate – the woman who heads the nursing home doesn't tolerate incontinence. Mm. So she frames Mary Fisher while she's out – well, not, not Mary Fisher, Mrs. Fisher while she's mm-hmm. at uh, the mansion. So and she can't come back. So she can't come back. She gets <laughs> kicked out. So now their family life is ruined because they have the kids and Mrs. Fisher, mm-hmm. which is – what normal people yeah. with families have to deal with who yeah. aren't rich.
0: Yeah, and outside of the, the fantasy of the affair. Exactly, She yes. sabotaged the fantasy of the
1: Completely. affair. Completely, yeah. yeah. Now they're she's domesticated and she's yeah. going crazy like Ruth did. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, I mean, Ruth was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Like, pretty... Uh, adjusted. Adjusted, or she was used to her life, mm-hmm. but Mary is like... Unable. Unable she, to adjust. It's a mess yes. in the
0: mansion mansion's, like, a mess. The golden retriever yep. has put it upside down. Like, you don't even want to go swimming in the pool anymore. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. destroyed by yeah. these kids and, and the dog. Exactly. And Mrs. Fisher is, like, loving it also. Yeah, yeah. She loves to see, like, her daughter's reality, like, be revealed. Well,
1: because she put her in this home yeah, and like just forgot about her. Yeah. So Ruth, she crosses off another asset. She gets on a bus and this really beautiful to go away. It's a really beautiful scene where Hooper chases the bus mm-hmm. and gets on the bus. And, um, it's really touching. And she, uh, Ruth says, what are you doing? And Hooper says, I was hoping you had some idea. Uh, <laughs> so She leaves to Yeah. So she takes her fortune with her and, They fix up this dump Mm -hmm. and they start their own business, which is the Vesta Rose Employment Agency for uh, forgotten women. And this includes like marginalized women, so it's women of color. Women who just want to change their position, who are in these domestic jobs, who want to be in an office job. Mm -hmm. Women who have never worked before. They've only been homemakers. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I think is significant is is the inclusion of sluts. Mm -hmm. It's (laughs) amazing. So, like, not just, quote-unquote, ugly women, but also, like... Beautiful women who are not compliant with patriarchal standards of demureness. Yeah. So, like, sex workers also. It's implied subtly. Mm -hmm. And just women who, like, are overtly sexual.
0: Mm -hmm. And that is included in this. Yeah, who have their own sexual agency and power. Yeah. Who cannot fit into the prison of the patriarch. You know, I love it. Yeah, it's I, amazing. It's, it's really, like, I wish that actually existed. I It's so I'm good. I'm going to start it.
1: There's this really amazing scene where Ruth is talking to this middle-aged woman who is sitting in her office and is like you know, she's kind of homely, like she looks like really run down by life. And she's like, my husband just left me and I've never had a job and I need to get a job for my kids. And you probably don't have anything for me. And Ruth is like, I'm sure we can find you something. And she's like, do you have any office skills? And she's like, no, but I did do my husband's bookkeeping. And Ruth is like, that's a skill. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and you raise kids. Like, that sounds like a job to me.
0: Yeah. And is, she
1: puts this rose pin on her and she's mm-hmm. like, welcome to Vesta rose.
0: I love the rose pinning. Yes. It's so beautiful. And it's also so real that like, um, you know, a lot of divorce happens in first marriages, especially in, to women who've like married these wealthy men and then their men are like oh you're 40 now and you've gained some weight so bye and then they've never worked in their lives and you know this happens to women of all classes um and they've been homemakers but especially women who've never worked and never developed any skills like if their husband leaves them they literally have nothing and this is kind of like Ruth is the angel, like the angel investor in their lives in this moment. Yeah, and she's also using what privilege she does have. Yes, as a
1: white woman, Mm -hmm. to like start this business and uplift specifically marginalized Mm -hmm. women. Yeah,
0: yeah, which is in all different situations, exactly for all different reasons.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, I just I love it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is that in the book? I don't think so. Yeah. So no, I think yeah. There's. A, th- I think the difference in the book is. I, and again, I haven't read it. But Ruth starts having these sexual affairs with yeah. people to to take revenge on Bob, like yeah. sleeping with people who have influence over his life. Mm-hmm. Um, which I actually like that they didn't do that mm-hmm. in the movie. Like, yeah. I think it could be. You could say that it's problematic that Ruth doesn't have any kind of romantic or sexual relationships in this movie mm-hmm. after Bob. I don't. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, like I don't want her to. There's she, a
0: risk that she'd find another Bob, and exactly, you can't risk that.
1: I think she <laughs> does something better, which is like she's become
0: self-actualized. Yeah. without any of that. Yeah, and and it's not to say she won't ever have romance in her life. Yeah, and she has a different kind it's just of not romance. Right she now. has. She has she's Hooper, made, Yeah, yeah, and I and that's like really significant, you know. Um, she's made this like intimate connection with a person and. And help them to change their lives. Yeah, you know, um, Bob is already cheating, <laughs> so Ruth
1: plants this amazing slutty woman, <laughs> Olivia Honey. Yeah, she's so good. Yeah, into Bob's office as a secretary mm-hmm.
0: uh, through her employment agency, wearing like like the sluttiest outfits while she works. Yes, it's and like- she
1: is like almost a Mary Fisher kind of like she's blonde, mm-hmm. white, thin. Um, but she, she's younger. She's younger, yeah. yeah. And she is also um, owns her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Mary Fisher owns her sexuality, I guess, by writing romance novels. She, she's very like she, she's she's coy. She plays mm-hmm. a game of it. Like, mm-hmm.
0: oh, I, I just believe in the power of love. And <laughs> Olivia, honey, is we like we all need to follow our loving instincts wherever yeah. they take us yeah.
1: no matter who they're married yeah to. and olivia honey is like i want to meet a really rich guy and marry him and she, yeah she, just, she's she, over about yeah, it. yeah there's like no pretense uh-huh. so mary has been doing some new things around the house she did some laundry for the first time wow. and she's now written this book called uh, Love in the Rinse Cycle, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm, it's called. Mm-hmm. And she's
0: meeting with her agent, and her agent hates the book. Because she's now, like, a real person who has to, like, has real feelings to, like, put into her
1: book, her It's a writing. really, it's a funny scene. And she's like, it's a metaphor. The laundry is a metaphor. Women are always stuck with the laundry. And it's like, what do you mean women are always stuck with the laundry? You just did it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well, then, see, this is why, like, sometimes I feel like, I can relate to Mary Fisher, too. Like, I want to live that life, and I try to, because I don't want, like, the patriarch or domesticity to tie me down in any way. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I am saddled with so many of the things that Ruth is saddled with by the world. So it's like, like you said, it's like, I'm both people. Totally. Um,
1: Ruth has, you can see in the movie that at this point that her mole is gone. Mm-hmm. So she's gotten her huh. role removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the book, she undergoes like major plastic surgery. She changes her entire body. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, she doesn't. She just gets the mole removed, which I like better. Which I like better. She yeah. stays fat. Yeah. She stays who she is. Except yeah. she just gets this mole removed. It makes her feel more comfortable. I yeah. mean, like
0: that's fine.
1: Yeah, I that's think,
0: valid. And I feel like for this film to be powerful, like that's what needed to be. If she had changed her entire appearance, it wouldn't be as powerful. It would. It would like reinforce the entire thing that cause like her pain to begin with.
1: Absolutely. And I this on this podcast we usually discuss subversive films and I wouldn't say that this film is particularly subversive, but it's subversive in that a fat woman
0: wins. Yes.
1: Like she doesn't She really wins. She so. really wins. Yeah, she doesn't get any kind of like I don't want to shame plastic surgery or whatever, no. but she doesn't she just there is also something to be said for Deciding to live yeah. in a body yeah. that is marginalized, even though you have the money now to change yeah. it. Yeah, I
0: mean, I mean, I've been, I've always struggled with this. I'm always like, I want to get fillers. Like, I'm in my 30s now. I want to get like Botox, and I'm always like, or I could just like accept like life, and 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 it's hard for all everyone to deal with that. But like she makes the choice, like even with more power and money, she's gonna remain who she is, and that's like a very important choice in the world of this film. Yeah, I think. absolutely. Um, Bob is cheating with
1: Olivia. Mary has turned into this like horrible house <laughs> So he <laughs> doesn't want to be around her anymore. Yeah, yeah. her hair is like, messed up. They're now. fighting. Uh, Ruth encourages Olivia to come on strong. Um, and she does. So to come <laughs> on strong, and basically she wants her to scare Bob into dumping her. This is when I wanted to ask the question, Mm -hmm. do you think that Ruth is using these people, using these women? Is she using Hooper? Is she using Olivia? Because they don't know her
0: real identity and they don't know that she's actually part of her revenge plot. Well, I think it it kind of to like mirror with life when people get obsessed with taking down a man, they'll do anything for it. So in that sense, maybe a little bit. But I think she's also helping them at the same time. I mean, she also time. greatly improves their lives. Yeah. So So she kind of – she uses them, but she also um, elevates them at the same time, which is kind of like a crazy bitch move, and I can relate to that in It's some way. crazy. I don't condone it, but in the movie <laughs> – in well, the world
1: I, of this movie, I condone well, it. Well,
0: because I think that she doesn't leave them behind. Yeah, she's the part of her team.
1: Yeah, using implies like a sort of uh, like, like being discarded. Up. Yeah, she doesn't discard. Which them. She doesn't do. Yeah. She's like
0: part of their family now. Yeah. And she like, they create a team. And so it's almost like she's galvanized them more totally. than used them, actually. Yeah, I yeah, think. kind of, yeah. Um, so
1: Olivia comes on strong to Bob, tells him she loves him and he dumps her and fires her. And, uh, he, as she's crying to Ruth, you know, she says he's embezzling money from his clients anyway. So Ruth is like, okay, we're going to frame him. So this is the next asset on the list, right? Mm -hmm. His career. Mm -hmm. So she, what they do is they concoct this scheme. He's embezzling like pretty much pennies from people's bank accounts which adds up to a lot over time Mm -hmm. so what they do is they just embezzle a huge amount Mm -hmm. so that he gets caught yeah um so mary also uh has written this other book she like brazenly decides to publish it even though her agent is like please don't do
0: it and her look has changed
1: No, not yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, she publishes In the Rinse Cycle. That's at the end. Okay, okay, sorry. And it flops. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And uh, Bob's cheating gets exposed because Ruth mails Mary Fisher these, like, Xeroxes of his hand on Olivia's ass that they took while they were having sex in the office. Yeah, yeah. And she flips out and it's hilarious. (laughs) Like, she goes on this tirade through the house. (laughs) Stop it! Stop it! Take your filthy hands off her, Dorothy. You're fired! Get the hell out of my house! I hate you. You go upstairs, young lady, and take off my dress. Yes. You're not my mother. I said move! It's for you, young man. Mother, go sit down! You fool upstairs. Go stay there. You're great.
0: What is going on here? Bob! Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. I'm taking back control of my life, Bob.
1: As long as you all are under my roof, things are going to be done my way, starting now. Where she's like throwing. Well, she fires Garcia because Garcia is like coming on to the teenage daughter in this scene. Okay. So she fires Garcia. Yeah, Gar- so
0: she's like a feminist now. She's yeah. Like, she's that. like,
1: fuck this. She's become a mom, kind yeah, of. Yeah. She's like. Go to your room, young lady. She fires Garcia. She Mm -hmm. takes this wine bottle out of the kid, the boy's hand, and her mother. She's like, Mother, get out of the way. It's so (laughs) funny. And Bob comes in and she's like,
0: Oh, (laughs) Bob!
1: <laughs> like, it's so insane. She's like, I'm taking back control of my life, Bob.
0: <laughs> her eyes, like, popping out of yeah, her Yeah, exactly. It's so good.
1: They have a party at the house for oh, Mary's yeah. book to yeah. honor Mary, and Bob gives this stupid speech. So dumb. And Mary is, like, rolling her eyes on him. Mm-hmm. And then this is when the FBI comes in <laughs> and arrests Bob. Like, right in the middle of his dumb speech. Yeah,
0: exactly. And uh, Around their pool. <laughs> yes,
1: and this is another funny thing, too, is Bob and Mary are meeting with his lawyer, mm-hmm. and the lawyer is saying, like, oh, we have this one judge. Like, it's some other – they don't say this, but it's, like, another white man, mm-hmm. and he's really easy on white-collar criminals, and my dad's friends with him, and, you know. It's in the bag. Yeah, It's in the bag, basically, right. and they're, like, relieved. and But then the lawyer also reveals, like – Oh well, it has to have been a a, a glitch, a software glitch. That's going to be their defense. He's Mm -hmm. like, that has to—it has to have been a software glitch because you embezzled from Mary's account. Mm -hmm. And this is when she realizes, like, oh, he is actually a fucking criminal, and he's stealing from me. Yeah. So not only was he using her, using Mm -hmm. her house, using her money, Mm -hmm. using her fame, saddling her with his children, Mm -hmm. he was also embezzling money. Oh god, this is like
0: this is bringing back terrible memories of my own life. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've had a bob in my life. Okay, it's awful. Oh, and he was doing that even though it wasn't the big amount. He was still constantly taking money from her. Account. Yeah, exactly. And so Mary is like, "Bye, I'm leaving you. Get out of
1: my house." Mm-hmm. And so now his career is over. That's another asset that's crossed off. But now Ruth is going for his freedom, mm-hmm. and she. So she. He's supposed to have this white man judge. There's this amazing scene where mm-hmm. you see the woman from before who was a housewife who needed a another job. You see her. She's on the phone and she's switching the judges. She's got those office skills. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, oh, I, the job is going great. You changed my life. Anything for you. Uh-huh. So Ruth has her switch the judges. <laughs> and... Bob goes into court and it's this, like, really funny scene where he's talking to his lawyer and he's like, tell me, would it be inappropriate for us to ask Judge Phillips out for dinner afterwards at the Palme d'Or or or whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like – the judge is like, oh, probably – the the lawyer is like, oh, Peter Lugers might be better. And Mm -hmm. then in walks this this judge who is a black woman Mm -hmm. who – looks at them like they are absolute trash Mm -hmm. because they are (laughs) because they are and she is not a conventionally attractive person she's got glasses Mm -hmm. whatever in the world of film she's part of the team yeah she's part of this team
0: yeah and oh i love this team I feel like I'm part of this scene. I know. I love this
1: scene. And she lets him have it, and she gives him 18 months in Mm -hmm. jail. And she's like, you you embezzled from your clients. Yeah. You betrayed people's trust. Yeah. You're a piece of shit. Yeah, you're going to jail for 18
0: months. Yeah. And he's freaking out. Mm -hmm. And such a good comment on, like, white-collar crime and how it's – slips through the cracks yeah but
1: she's not letting it no. and he this is so funny because ruth looks incredible by the way and she's mm-hmm. like in the back and mm-hmm. she's in this amazing like purple mm-hmm. head, head scarf <laughs> yeah and with uh, this make, great makeup on and she's yeah. looking at him just like cold with this Bye-bye, cold bitch. look and he sees her <laughs> and he's like ruth where have you
0: been oh yeah oh yeah
1: so Help funny. Me. Help me. You're yeah. all I have left. I know. Uh, and they're like dragging him away. So now she can like cross his freedom off the list
0: and oh, so good exactly it's so it's amazing and this, this team it's so powerful it and really even is. the court stenographer has
1: a rose pin on uh, so you start to see that there are all these women all over mm-hmm. with these rose pins yeah and well,
0: we need to get them we need to get them we Okay need- who wants a rose pin yeah. like really who wants to form the best of rose like, slide it's into employment our agency <laughs> so- which is
1: basically just a renegade vigilante calls
0: I mean this is really I mean that's the power of this film and why when I said at the beginning I felt so seen because you do feel seen and you feel like we have to do this every day with one another like all outsider women need to sort of band together in this very specific way because we are the smart geniuses we are like the creatives we are the power and if we like can create that network. We can't fall through the cracks. No. You
1: know. And they—they're there's strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. And Bob is now in prison. <laughs> yes. And now he's a domestic worker. He works in the kitchen. Wow. And he's washing dishes. Mm-hmm. And he seems very humbled. Yeah. His kids are visiting him with Ruth. And he says to Ruth, um, it, he's just changed. Like, he's totally, like, humble now. Mm-hmm. And he's, like... For being really kind to his kids. Like, he baked them cookies in prison. And he says to Ruth, maybe when I get out of here, I can come over and cook for you and the kids. And she says, that would be nice. And walks (laughs) away. And I was wondering if you think that this implies that they might get back together.
0: Um, no. I think she's just being flippant. Yeah. I I think she's being irreverent. Like, you can cook for them and I'll, like, go out and do something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I mean... I, I think it would like like torpedo the whole film if they, it meant they were gonna get back. I don't
1: together. want that to happen. No. I was just wondering if that's what they were implying. I hope not. I, I hope mean, for me, I didn't I don't take think it. So. I think she was just kind of like,
0: I wish she had said, "No way in hell," but <laughs> I think she's just kinda, no. But she's like
1: being the better person. She's like taking yeah. the high road. Yeah. Um. Even though he has no idea, she's the
0: reason he's in jail. Yeah.
1: So this is when Mary has a feminist makeover. Yeah. So yeah. Mary has released this other book called uh, truth and lies i think <laughs> and it's got like a blue book jacket mm. instead of a pink book jacket yeah, okay. and she's in this suit this blue suit instead of a pink suit yeah she's basically the same person she's less just makeup less Her makeup hair's a little less she's wearing dumb. glasses oh yeah. yeah yeah and she's like she's on this talk show she's on sally Jeff, jesse raphael okay and she's like uh, Sally Jesse is like, oh, this book has gotten great reviews, and she's like, yes, and from all the big critics. Like, mm-hmm. it's so funny. She's still the same person. Yeah. Except she's just had this like feminist awakening. Which is so. Really
0: which is so like. It's real. actually real. That's yeah. so real. I yeah. can see that happening in the writing community too. Like, so many people um are one moment like condemning like the evil like male poet, and then the next day they're like having lunch with him. Yeah. Like, you know, and like. It's like, well, pick a side here, or like change this for real. And so it's very thin. It's very thin, her um, turnover.
1: Yeah, but she's... But it's still refreshing. It's great, because I love that she doesn't... Her punishment is over.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: she's free now. Yeah, exactly. And uh, she's signing books, and Ruth comes up. She doesn't recognize her, and Ruth comes up and asks for... Uh, for her to sign her book and she looks up at Ruth and like there's a moment of recognition and Ruth's <laughs> eyes glow red like a she-devil <laughs> and she walks away, away and then this French guy who comes up and asks to have his book signed and him and Mary like, make a connection.
0: Yeah and it's like she starts it all over
1: except with like an art bro.
0: Exactly Which, she starts all over with this art feminist persona. Yeah so it's like. The finance bro and the art bro are the same person in different clothes with a different haircut, and maybe, like, the romance novelist and the feminist writer who are of that specific status um, can be interchangeable, too, and yeah. it just kind of makes a comment on, again, pretty privileged then privileged white privilege, class privilege, um, and how if you haven't actually gone through those things, the material struggles... Um, it's just a costume or it could just be Yeah, a costume. that's uh, yeah, that's true.
1: Um, and yeah. the the last shot of the film is Ruth walking in a sea of women on the street. Oh yeah. And it's just a a long shot of like of all of these women walking and you see Ruth in the center in this like amazing outfit mm-hmm. and the song Devil in Disguise by Elvis Presley plays. Okay. And
0: that's the end of yeah. the film. It's yeah. so iconic. Yeah. I love the yeah. ending. Yeah, and it's like you can tell they all, all those women probably have a rose pin. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, they're yeah. all like, you know, once you start talking about the problem, you come together.
1: So that is She Devil. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Laura?
0: Well, I was wondering the fact that she never reveals any of what she's doing to mm-hmm. anyone. How do you feel about that?
1: I, I like it because it makes it this like magical realism sort mm-hmm. of thing where she's pulling all the strings, but she has this. She's like a Robin Hood. Yeah, she's like a Robin Hood, and she has an inner life that no one yeah. knows about.
0: Yeah, which she's complex.
1: Yeah, which I love, and she has completely changed all these people's lives for the better. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's not a... That's the irony of the film. She's not a devil. She's actually this angel. Like, this avenging angel who really has changed all of these people's lives. And the kids are also less bratty, too.
0: It's really... It's really important, I think, for people to watch this film just to sort of see that... um, what it's like from, even though it's camp and even though it's comedy, what it's like to have, to be an outsider and also to gain power at the same time. And is this just a fantasy? Or can this actually happen? Mm. You know, Roseanne tried to do this in her real life. Yeah. As the director and writer of the Roseanne show. And and she was constantly seen as outsider. And now she's, like, aligned herself with the alt-right or whatever and demised. And And she's insane. Yeah, and her entire career is... Over. After
1: she got gastric bypass, mm-hmm. um she really went off the rail. Really?
0: <laughs> so So you think like she was just I const- don't know. the constant I th-
1: pressure to conform? Yeah, I think these things converged. Yeah. Like I think that she was I think she went nuts. There's yeah. like literally no excuse for I'm, her racism. Yeah. Um I she must have always felt that way to mm-hmm. an extent. I do think that the she was galvanized mm-hmm. by the alt right. Mm-hmm. She's been crazy for a while though. Like she was talking about con- conspiracy theories. She said her parents molested her, and then she took it back. Mm-hmm. I think she's honestly just. I think she's really mentally ill. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, and it's it's just something to watch though, because when I was a kid, I saw her as kind of a hero. Um, when she sang the Star-Spangled Banner. I, oh, I mean, it's really sad. It's sad. Yeah. it's sad that someone that could mean so much to marginalized women um, could sort of become their enemy. Well, I
1: think that's why when I was watching the new Roseanne before it got canceled, I, I was so upset by it because it goes against the spirit of the mm-hmm. original show because mm-hmm. Roseanne has a brother and a sister who are both gay, mm-hmm. and she, that she said that that inspired her to have... Repres- complicated representations of gay characters on Roseanne and she dealt with themes of sexuality, class, race mm-hmm. in these really amazing yes. ways on her show and she must have also had a team of amazing writers and the new Roseanne was a complete perversion of it mm-hmm. like she made she made them into these um Dan and she made Dan and Roseanne into these like backwards, Trump-supporting bigots. Mm -hmm. And that it's – I'm not saying that those people don't exist. I just – they were never that. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the beauty of the show is that you were seeing that these working-class people from the Midwest – Could be complex. Could be complex, progressive, open-minded people, yeah, which in coastal cities like – you know, liberal elites or whatever. I hate that term, yeah. but we'll often refer to like backwards red- yeah. rednecks. And you could see in that show that that those people were not that. Yeah. And yeah, and it's in disturbing.
0: The re- in the reboot, um, I was saying earlier that it didn't make sense that they. We were saying it didn't make sense they were Trump supporters, and and what would they have been? What would the original Roseanne and Dan have been? Um, and. I think we both were saying, like, they wouldn't support any politician, or they'd say, this system sucks, or like.
1: Yeah, and, you know, people talk about, like, oh, Roseanne's fall from grace, and I don't think she fell from grace. I think she was never in it. Like, I think people always hated her. Like, she was always mm-hmm. seen as, like, this loud, fat, obnoxious woman, mm-hmm. and, you know, after her and Tom Arnold got divorced, like, he was talking about how she was awful and abusive, which, like... I don't deny. I'm sure she was. Like, she can – people who are uh, mentally ill like that are often very abusive. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, she – I'm not projecting that. Like, she's talked about how she's mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just – it's really upsetting because Mm -hmm. she was – an icon. I mean, um, an article, I forget the author, but I'll link it in my Patreon when I do my newsletter for my patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Roseanne Benedict Arnold. And it's, this was way before this was written in the mid 2000s. So this was way before Roseanne, you know, became what she is today. But she, the, the author is talking about like, do fat celebrities do, do fat women have a, an obligation to stay fat or to to be mm.
0: – um,
1: repre- to represent us. Yeah. And she never particularly – she doesn't answer the question or not, but she says, like, it's important for us to see people who don't treat fatness as a temporary state. Mm-hmm. And Roseanne used to identify as fat, mm-hmm. which is very – I mean, fat activism has been around since the early 70s, but – only recently have people started to openly in media identify mm-hmm. as fat. I mean, I don't even actually know if they do. Like, I don't even know if Aidy Bryan identifies as fat, mm-hmm. but is talking about fatness. Yeah. It's like such a weird roundabout yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah and Roseanne was owning it and talking about being a fat woman mm-hmm. and saying she didn't want to be skinny and she didn't want to change and then she got gastric bypass and the reason she gave for with these like all these health reasons even though she started to have a lot more health problems after she got it cuz it's this horrible major surgery yeah
0: and it's like oh it's like why did she did she ever talk about why she decided to do it
1: yeah she said she was having health
0: problems okay um, and she just wanted to be healthy. Oh, whatever. I know.
1: By the way, she's <laughs> still fat. Like, yeah. let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: it's, and she got a lot of facial uh plastic surgery as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's it's upsetting, but it's also sort of like it shows all of the intricate connections in different outsider groups and how people become rattle- radicalized to the right. And, um, it's sad. It's really kind of damning to someone who, for me, when I was a child, was kind of like a hero. Yeah, I loved her.
1: Like I, really I loved, loved her.
0: Roseanne. I loved that show. Was, I, used, I mean, I thought it was the only like one of the only real representations of um, like American partial part of American life. Yeah, I mean, it was really
1: respectful
0: mm-hmm. of
1: people who come from those backgrounds and yeah. it wasn't demeaning and no. it was a really important show culturally yeah. for yeah. people. And this was an important movie for me. And it's,
0: uh, it's, it's just like a eulogy to Roseanne. It is. <laughs> yeah. This episode is a eulogy to Roseanne. Yeah. Wherever she may be. <laughs> but I know that there's going to be, hopefully, People who identify as fat and who are radical and queer and um, of all different backgrounds who create content as important.
1: Yeah. And that's not fucked. Yeah, have these- exactly. We don't need to hold. I completely um, support canceling Roseanne. Yeah. Like, it's not – this is not an endorsement yeah. <laughs> no. of her. I, there is going to be better people, yes. and there is going to be people who are fat with a racialized identity. I mean, we all have a racialized identity, but mm-hmm. there's going to be fat women of color mm-hmm. and fat disabled women mm-hmm. and fat gay women who are going to um, be – much more radical and uh, fill in all of the things that Roseanne was incapable of doing
0: yeah. on her own yeah. and, uh, and it's continue about time. that legacy and it's yeah. about time because there yeah. hasn't been enough um, in the mainstream media if if any at all well I mean it's the other thing is like the shows that come out
1: now like I liked Shrill I had issues with it mm-hmm. I liked it but mm-hmm. Land got cancelled so it's not coming back but it's Plum, <laughs> It's the name. just sad because we haven't since had something like Roseanne.
0: Thank you for coming Laura. Yeah, no problem. Up uh, to Westchester by we're the pool with sunny. the birds chirping. It's really nice. It's a <laughs> it, Sunday afternoon.
1: <laughs> um, so you can where can people find you on social media?
0: Um, if you, can, you want them to. Sure, you can find me on Instagram at Laura Marie Marciano. Uh, also, you can follow Gemstone Readings at Gemstone Readings, and we will be posting some new videos by poets um, in the next couple of months. So definitely check out the new content. You can find my Patreon
1: at patreon.com slash girlsgutsjallo. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter as girlsgutsjallo. You can also send me an email at girlsgutsjallo at gmail.com. You can also follow my personal Instagram account, which is fatgoth, F-A-T-G-A-W-T-H. And until next time, I'm Annie Rose Malamette, and this is Girls Guts and Jallo.